Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about one of the most influential, groundbreaking science fiction franchises of all time. Of course, we're talking about Frank Herbert's iconic books. An iconic first book too, you know. Yeah. Dune. The Dune series will be talking about it in all its incarnations, um, <laughs> including, you know, of course, the official canon work of Frank Herbert, his his iconic novels that kickstarted the franchise, and then we'll be talking about perhaps the strengths and weaknesses of the semi-canonical um, continuations mm-hmm. by his son Brian Herbert. Um, subsequent to that, we'll we'll take a look back at the various adaptations that have come through, uh, trying to bring the immense and complex world of Dune onto the big and small screens, including um, David Lynch's uh, failed or flawed <laughs> um, attempt in yeah. 1984, yeah. um, Jodorowsky's ambitious, um, shall we say, abomination um, <laughs> that, that never came to pass but would have been intriguing regardless. Yeah. Uh, and on the flip side of that, we also have a very cheap, very unambitious, but yet super faithful sci-fi miniseries um, starring James McAvoy uh, that, that happened back in the mid-noughts. Uh, so we'll be talking about all of that first. Uh, but, you know, like, we'll begin with Dune, of course, you know, the, the, the classic Frank Herbert novel that kickstarted it off, and then we'll move on to its various sequels. Uh, but before we begin talking about Dune, you know, um, you've been a Dune fan, I think, longer than I have. You know, what has it meant to you, how did it capture your imagination, uh, and all that so- sorts of stuff, you know, because I, I, I assume like this is a bit of a, as anyone who read Dune in their early life, it's it's kind of a landmark moment in your sci-fi fandom, am I right? Mm, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I think like uh, Dune, um, I, I, I stumbled upon Dune when I think I was like 13, 14, right? And then it was about the time that I kind of fell in love. Like I had just prior to that read... Uh, Lord of the Rings, um, yep. and you know, I was kind of like searching for that epicness of it, but perhaps in a, a slightly different genre because, like, I had done Lord of the Rings, I had done the I can't remember the author's name, uh, but basically it was um, like uh, a series of uh, uh, fictional histories regarding Alexander as mm. well. So I was I was looking for just you know uh, a world to kind of dive into, and and Dune just kind of came up on a very simple search uh, at the library. Um and yeah, I I, I I remember picking out from thing. I remember looking at um the artwork. It's a very, very iconic picture of just like the sandworm, um, you know, Shai Hulu coming out of the of the sand right in front. I think it's one of the first few um mm. fully illustrated covers uh, that they the, had for The old paperbacks from the nineteenth I don't know when uh, I, I met my paperback which my mother <laughs> owned pr- prior to mine is very old and weathered it's like the pages are super yellow so it's from way back yeah yeah they're like super super uh, uh, iconic for me I, I think like I, I wasn't entirely sold maybe on, on the premise necessarily just because at that point in time um, wasn't really that big into sci-fi very honestly mm. um, you know but Reading Dune uh, in its entirety a, a number of times before this year, um, and especially I think that first read through of the original first book was mm. very 
important for my formative years. I think there were a lot of ideas there about like personage and you know um, the hero's journey that as a young man trying to find his way in the world, I latched onto a great deal. You know what the skills would be necessary. You know to kind of like navigate um, the uh, the world around me that was getting increasingly complicated and things like that. You know ideas like the Bene Gesserit kind of uh, prana bindu mastery of the body, mm. um, the command of the voice. Uh, the possibility that humans could be supercomputers. Um, these were all kind of things that later on, in, uh, well, as I started to grow, that influenced me very deeply to kind of do research into like real life versions of that and what were the possibilities were, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because like I saw, uh, I, I saw something in, in what Paul became that I found incredibly attractive. Um, but retrospectively, of course, right? As I grew older, as I get, I, as I gained a better understanding of uh, everything past the first book, mm. um, you know, there's plenty that that Herbert was trying to say past that initial kind of like growth of the hero's journey, particularly mm. in Messiah, particularly in God Emperor, um, mm. about the greater, the greater cost, you know, to to society at large and and to the persons involved in the story about you know, um, about heroes, right? Uh, about these these people in which, like, uh, so many of the political, the social, the economic, the uh, the religious aspects and spiritual aspects of life um, uh, intersect with. Yeah. Um, and how problematic that could be uh, as an example in this vast, vast universe that he created. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, Dune, really important. I... I'm guessing that uh, with this year's read-through in preparation for this episode and also, you know, just brushing up for the movie mm. um, that, that came out, um, probably four times, I think, um, in its entirety. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, big, big fan. Uh, it's always hard, I think, like uh, I was telling you before the movie, it's always hard going into a movie that has, whose story has lived in your head for so many years. Yes. Um, you know, there's so many things that could be possibly different and then you have this kind of internal conflict um, whether or not it matches up. Uh, mm. But that, of course, and the review of that movie will will be coming up at our next episode of Genre Equality. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 Very soon. Focus on everything that has come before and how important it's been. Of course, you know, um, without Dune, which is known as one of the most, if not the most influential sci-fi novels of all time, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I suppose some people will call it the greatest. I probably wouldn't go that far, but to call it not influential is missing the mark, right? It's clearly oh, yeah. very influential. There is no Star Wars without Dune. Um, there's no Game of Thrones without Dune. Yeah. Um, there's no Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind without Dune. You know, th- these are some of the major... Uh, landmarks that have been inspired by Frank Herbert. Um, and, and of course, you know, Frank Herbert himself didn't create Dune in a vacuum. It was inspired by many things that came before, including his real work in the in the study of desert cultures and deserts and desert ecology, uh, you know, in his work as an ecologist, uh, yeah. as well as in his readings of Isaac Asimov's foundation novels. Um, if you want to read more about how I kind of dissect how um, Frank Herbert created Dune as a counterpoint to Isaac Asimov's foundation books uh, you can read it in my article in Potwire so I won't go too in-depth into it what mm-hmm. I will say about my introduction to Dune is that I should have watched or read other things first before I came upon Dune because I came upon oh. Dune you know, in, 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 in secondary school um, yep. 
it was like you. I was um, attracted to fantasy at first, which is it, which is weird because fantasy is like the, my least favorite genre at the moment. <laughs> um, you know, like as I've drifted yeah. away and I've discovered more things, you know, you know. But fantasy was my was my beginning point into uh, literature. You know, mm-hmm. obviously starting with fairy tales, and then um, I I raided my mom's uh, library because she used to be a, a lit uh, major in NUS and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had all these amazing books on on her shelf. And the first things I gravitated to were kind of the more uh, young adult stuff and then yeah. I moved on to more fantasy based stuff I think like the Vampire Chronicles by Anne Rice was one of the few things there oh, yeah. and then I moved mm-hmm. on to sci-fi mm-hmm. and why I think like for you and for me and for lots of people Dune is a very easy gateway into sci-fi is because it is almost not sci-fi it is one of the softest science fiction novels you'll ever find Yeah, uh, and it's thus easy to or perhaps the the the, the, the boundary between fantasy and sci-fi in Dune is very slim. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. In the way that like N.K. Jemisin's work is, is, you can't tell whether it's sci-fi or whether it's fantasy because elements of both are present in it, you know. Uh, but Dune to me was a deconstruction of the hero's journey, of the messiah story, mm-hmm. of the savior story, of the chosen one uh, archetype. They would have been a lot more impactful to me like early on if I was familiar with the archetype because I hadn't yeah. seen Star Wars, mm-hmm. I hadn't, you know, uh, you know, I wasn't familiar with all the Judeo-Christian um, uh, messaging or parallels in the book, you know, and stuff like that. So, I like, this book made me very cynical of the hero's journey, you know. So, like, when I was watching Star Wars, I was always like, is Luke Skywalker a good guy? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, be, 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 because of that, like, you know. But yeah. And then as I grew, I grew older, I came to appreciate, as I, as I reread Dune more and more, I came to appreciate more of its... Um, political elements, you know, um, so some have called it, um, you know, like the, the political um, intrigue in, in uh, A Song of Ice and Fire, for example, mm-hmm. is heavily inspired by the house warfare and the strate- strategic battles going on in, in the Dune books, you know. Yeah. Um, and and, and there's, there's so much going on there, as well as, you know, I, I learned more about environmentalism, mm-hmm. about ecology, um, about religion specifically, because, you know, um, I grew up in uh, later on, like in life, like I was, I was kind of forced to attend a madrasa. I'm not gonna like, get into that, but I was, I was very familiar with like Islamic custom and all that. Like, yeah. and, and the and the frame and Dune always struck me at first as Islam inspired. Uh, what I came to realize lit- later on was that it is literally Islam that has just been yeah. changed and warped over time through ecology, through different environments or different planets, through different political systems, and most importantly, through the religious engineering of the Bene Gesserit who have uh, implanted uh, and changed the religion to their own whims to, to achieve their own purposes. You know? mm-hmm. um, and the idea of um, religious engineer- engineering uh, alongside their eugen- eugenics program was very fascinating to me uh, on a conceptual level. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, that like Dune... I had a lot of problems with it in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, because I was always a very... This hasn't changed to now. Like. In fact, if you <laughs> listen to any of the episodes of Behold or, or Genre, like, I'm a very character person. Yeah. Uh, like I, I like character journeys and character growth. And Dune was my first introduction into huge world building where it felt like homework reading. I had to learn new terms. Mm-hmm. I had to learn new names. I had to learn new rules to the world, you know. Um, and, and the world felt like a character, the universe felt like a character, but the characters themselves did not feel like characters, at least up to the point of um, 
God Emperor. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the second half of Dune was very character-driven, but the first half was not. It was very plot-driven, uh, and, and the ideas were so large that like I don't think there was space in Herbert's mind to like fully flesh out his characters as more than plot devices. Uh, as I come to grow older, I came to appreciate that more, the imagination that goes into the world-building. Um, that was that was incredible to me. It was my first experience uh, in that kind of work. I had not read, um, like you, I had not, uh, I mean, you had read Tolkien before that, right? I had not, yeah. you know, so mm-hmm. this was my first introduction into that, you know. Um, before we, we talk about the Dune novel, right, like, let me give you a basic breakdown of what the premise is. Yeah. Um, Good luck, man. <laughs> if, if, if you are not familiar with Dune, and want to keep spoiler-free for the new movie, or if you plan to read the book soon, you probably shouldn't be listening to this episode as just a fair warning. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it were, I, I, I really don't think that it's going to affect your appreciation even if you are, uh, uh, even if you're exposed to spoilers. Mm. Um, but I'm just going to lay out the, the, the bare bones for you at, at the moment here. Like. So Dune is set in the far future, uh, millennia from now. Uh, where warring uh, noble houses uh, are kind of kept in line by a ruthless galactic emperor. Um, so as part of this Byzantine political intrigue, the noble Duke Leto, um, head of the house Atreides, is forced to move his household uh, from their paradise home planet of Caladan uh, to the desert planet of Arrakis, uh, colloquially known as Dune. Um, the climate of Dune is frighteningly hostile. Mm-hmm. Um, water is so scarce that whenever its inhabitants go outside, they must wear still suits, these close-fitting garments that capture body moisture and recycle it for drinking. Your sweat, your tears, your pee, whatever you discard is is recycled through the seal, still suit. You know, um, the great enemy of House Atreides is the House Harkonnen. Um, who are a bunch of, you know, no-good brutes who torture people for fun, uh, whose head, uh, Baron Vladimir, is so obese that he has to use these anti-gravity suspensors as he moves around. You mm-hmm. know? Um, but Harkonnen's used to control Dune, uh, which, despite its awful climate and grubby desert nomad people, has incalculable strategic significance. Um, its southern desert is the only place in the galaxy where a fantastically valuable commodity called melange or spice is mined. Um, spice is a drug whose many useful properties include the induction of a, cri- of a kind of enhanced space-time perception in pilots yep. uh, of interstellar aircraft. Um, without it, the entire communication and transport system of the Imperium will collapse. Um, it's invaluable for navigation. Um, it is also highly addictive, and it has the side effect of turning the eye of the user uh, a deep blue. Um, spine, uh, spice mining is dangerous, not just because of you know, sandstorms and nomad attacks, but because the noise it, it, it generates attracts gigantic sandworms. Um, behemoths many, many hundreds of meters in length that travel through the dunes, you know, like, like, like whales in the ocean. You know? mm-hmm. um, and, and, and the Harkonnens are forced to give up Dune, but have they really given up Dune? You know, the source of fabulous riches? Of course not. Um, treachery and tragedy um, ensue. Uh, and the son of Duke Leto, a young Paul Atreides, survives a general bloodbath to go on the run in the hostile open desert accompanied, uh, unusually for an adventure story, by his mom, uh, who is also uh, a Benny Gesserit. Uh, Paul is already showing signs of the kind of cosmic precociousness uh, by uh, 
he's a, he has abilities in many things. I'm not going to break it down for you. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's almost <laughs> OP. You know? But he's very precocious in a lot of things. And yeah. people suspect that he may even be the Messiah figure foretold in ancient prophecies, uh, according to uh, the, the religions and the beliefs of the Dune people, of the, of the Freemen. Mm-hmm. Um, his mother, Jessica, is an initiate of, of this great female power base in an otherwise patriarchal galactic order. It's, it's a religious sisterhood, as I mentioned, called the Bene Gesserit. You know, they are kind of witchy and psychically powerful, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the, the sisters have engaged in a millennia of eugenic programming and religious engineering of which Paul may be the culmination. Um, what a great setup for for these <laughs> stories, you know, that, that it's sort of been... Um, if you have read the Foundation novels, you can already see the parallels happening here, but the yeah. directions that Frank Herbert leads are vastly different and the conclusions that he draws are, are, are very different, you know. Um, what are the, the aspects of the initial Dune novel that you think is revolutionary and holds, uh, and holds water today? Um, revolutionary? Okay, I mean, like, things that definitely still hold water today, no pun intended, is, yeah. is the e- ecological themes, right? Um, yes! Like, yeah. if, there is no... There might have been no time in the history of mankind in which Dune's ecological um, tenets speak to our our time but what i mean like with huge desertification going on in our world right now and with global warming uh, all the various kind of like weather major changes in the weather patterns and and ecological disasters going on you know Mm. um just trying to trying to see dune and and man's relationship with their environment right in in this particular case the, the the planet of dune itself is has been uh, I, I think that has been the most poignant part of rereading the entire series um, this year. You know, um, this entire idea that we, um, the, the way in which humankind has exploited the land for its benefit uh, and, and this huge capitalistic fervor and expansion, not into the stars necessarily uh, in mm-hmm. our case, uh, but just in general. Um, I think that hits home and very, very close to home, much harder than any other time that I've read Dune itself. Um, mm-hmm. That that's for sure. That's one. Um, the other one would definitely be, you know, again, ideas of religion, um, I- ideas of uh, xenophobia. Mm. Um, that that all kind of like play out from this incredible universe that that Frank Herbert has built out, and these themes. I mean, over the ages, I'm sure they've been recurring, but some of them are really like, they really do hit very close to home. And I'm kind of painful, to be honest, because like we are on track <clears throat> to seeing some of these things happen, or already have seen some of these things happen in our own reality. Yes. Um, and there's, it feels like there's nothing much we can do about it, right? We don't have, you know, a Paul or a Leto, uh, one of these great overpowered <laughs> characters to come in and intervene into any of that. And do we really want to, seeing as how, you know, Paul and Paul the second or and Let- Leto the second turned out, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's this huge confluence of the uh, of things that I, I think it's the main draw of 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 people who enjoy the kind of literature. Like it's not just, you know, a single layered thing. Every reading that you're gonna reread of any one of the books is gonna continue to produce more and as you grow as a person and your awareness of you know the social ecological economic issues um, Mm -hmm. around you in your life begin to grow so does your understanding of what Frank Herbert was trying to do 
Um, mm. And that I think that that's going to be a big draw, um, especially with um, the new movie coming out. And I'm guessing there's going to be like a ton of fans who are either reading Dune before going into the cinema or reading Dune after going into the cinema. And they're going to yep. discover like a lot of very powerful, very poignant things to think about um, in our, 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 uh, our time. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, you you mentioning the the exploitation of natural resources from poverty stricken areas. You know, um, yeah. it, we're seeing more and more of that today, la, But even back in the sixties, seventies, and eighties, I think if you asked people from the Middle East, specifically with regards to oil, or people from Africa who has you know a millennia of this happening to them, yeah, it probably has been happening to them for a very long time, la, And this is just like, mm. yep, yep, yep. This will happen now. It has happened. It will happen in the future. Um. The, the theme of environmentalism and ecology is obviously, I think, the most important or, or prevalent aspect of Dune yeah. that the modern reader w- would get. You know, um, I think Dune has been called like the first uh, planetary ecology novel on on a huge scale, on a grand scale. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it it, it 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 treats the subject of ecological change and its consequences with a thought that a lot of fantasy and science fiction do not, especially at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, um, with its, you know, it, especially in 1965, with its complex descriptions of, you know, li- the life on Arrakis, the ecosystem, the giant sandworms, mm-hmm. for whom the wa- water is deadly, you know, there's the smaller um, mouse-like life forms uh, adapted to life with limited water. Um, with, of, of course, Moadib is named after him. Mm-hmm. Um, Dune has this, you know, uh, complex and unique ecologies that a lot of science fiction books take in, uh, inspiration from in the future, yeah. but did not have at that present uh, time, you know. Um, one of the most interesting things about Dune, though, I think, uh, and it, this frequently goes unmentioned, despite it being a huge part of it, is that, as I said, Dune is a landmark of science fiction. That that soft science fiction, there is no real sci-fi in the, Dune. There's no real hard science, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Herbert deliberately suppressed technology in the Dune universe so he could address the politics of humanity uh-huh. um, rather than the future of humanity's technology. Um, I think Dune is more interested in considering the ways humans and their institutions might change over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does it with the intriguing backstory of the Butlerian Jihad, where um, humanity rebelled against technology a long, long time ago. Um, there is very little known about it, yeah. but, it's, but it, it, it plays a major part in how every character in youth doing things and why there is such a resistance to upgrading technology in the world. You know, like it's, it's a story that takes place over 5,000 years and technology barely evolves you know, it's because of the Butlerian Jihad. It's not, it's not a flaw in the plot. It is is intentional, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and that allows Dune to be this this epic of political be- betrayal, um, ecological brinksmanship, and 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 messianic deliverance that it could not have been otherwise in like in Isaac Asimov's work or in Arthur C. Clarke's work. You know, it's it's a very different kind of thing that he wants to explore, and that's very interesting. What intrigued me the most, though, even at a young age, right? Mm-hmm. I was very into history, super into like the Roman Empire and like the great, like you know, historical battles and shit like that. Like, who isn't right when you were a kid? You know? <laughs> like, and one thing that uh, I noticed very, very early on, and has been made clear to me ever since I read uh, the book, uh, and Frank Herbert has uh, out outright said that like 
I have based this book entirely. It's almost a fictional adaptation of Edward Gibbons's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, which mm. is a, a non-fiction book that came out. Yeah. Uh, which argues that Christianity um, uh, with, the, with the Roman elite led to the fall of, of ancient Rome, you know. Um, so the parallels of ancient history together with the Imperium in Dune is very clear-cut. Like, there is no... Um, there is no like room for like uh, argument about this. Uh, this is clearly based on, on ancient Rome. Yeah. Um, the foundation books were also based on Edward Gibbons's decline and fall of the Roman Empire. The very same book. Um, whether this was intentional or not, I don't know. No, neither has said. You know, but it's clear that Asimov found inspiration in that book first. Uh, and and you know, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, that particular nonfiction book, has inspired a lot of other sci-fi uh, mm-hmm. since then. So perhaps they they were independent inspirations. I I don't know, but I found it very very cool. The story of heroism, um, you know, this this kind of modern day conglomeration of familiar <laughs> myths, yeah, um, uh, you know, uh, of a messiah, of a, of a precious commodity, uh, it 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 resembles a lot of myth in Judeo Christian. Uh, religions in a lot of sci-fi in a lot of works in in nearly everything uh in greek mythology in greek literature in everything that humanity has ever crafted right there's always this hero myth you know mm-hmm. the, the rise to a superman status our savior uh the hero's journey template you know um what dune does best as i mentioned and and what is most radical perhaps not in dune but in dude's sequels were the deconstruction of the hero's journey um, the, you, you should have gotten that idea that Paul is not necessarily a, a good guy yeah. because he accepts his mentor of savior a little bit too easily. He's very <laughs> eager. He's very eager. He has this thirst for vengeance. He has this prescience that already tells him that his, his jihad is bound for, for centuries of bloody battle that will claim billions of lives. Mm-hmm. And he does it anyway. Yeah. You know? um, he regrets it later on. But you know, still, like... He's not a good person, you know, and it's it's an interesting take on the hero's journey. It, it it teaches you to never believe in a savior, and 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 as it turns out, you know, like um that um that two face uh quote, what was it from the Dark Knight? Uh, you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, right? Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of like the the Dune books in a nutshell, you know. Um, of course, like growing up. In, in Islam and, 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 and being a Muslim and all of that, the similarities to Middle Eastern culture, uh-huh. Sufism and Islam was very intriguing to me. There's a lot of like Arabic, uh, uh, Arabic language and wordage, right? Yep. And, and undertones and in the themes in the book, you know, it's very, very cool to me. Um, the, the whole idea of, you know, the, the desert dwelling people, their military capacity brought to mind a lot of, uh, of the desert warfare, specifically in Afghanistan, uh, which is, you know, has been... <laughs> <sighs> has been that way for a long time, yeah. Like I mean, including to the, including this year, you know. It's oh boy. Uh, let's not get into that, lah. Um, it introduced me to Zen. Mm. Uh, um, I I don't know what to call it. Is it a, a system of belief? Is it a religion or philosophy? It, but it introduced me to Zen yeah. philosophy also. Yeah, philosophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that was very very interesting to me. How how they posited, you know, um, caf- uh religions would move on in the future, you know, with the Orange Catholic Bible, with the Fremen religion, all was, was fascinating. And, and that is what makes Dune such a landmark work and such an imaginative piece of world, world building, you know. Is there, is there mm-hmm. like anything that we haven't mentioned or I have missed out that, that you like to you talk about? 
Uh, I, I think we've touched all of it. Uh, ecology, declining empires, um, all the influences, uh, Middle Eastern and so on. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Gender yeah, dynamics. you know. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much like the uh, main, the main kind of like the main thrust of themes that span all six original books. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, Dune as a book is an almost uh perfect novel. Uh, in terms of its impact, in terms of its influence, and in terms of what it wants to say. You know, uh, but like with every great sci-fi book, there are sequels, and and Frank Herbert is no exception to this. He crafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of sequels that are uh, not a couple, a lot of sequels that were pretty good and then co- continued with uh, uh, what's his name, Brian Herbert's uh, continuations as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, I do have to say though that as 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 influential as Dune is, as great of a book it is, it's not my favorite book in the Dune franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about. Okay, you pick out what is your favorite book in the Dune franchise and tell me why and how does it differ from Dune or how does it improve upon Dune? Like, what is your favorite book in 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 the five novels that, that uh, Frank Herbert wrote? Uh, I think for me, it's got to be Messiah. Yep. Yeah, it's got to be Messiah. I, I we, we were having, you know, a couple of to and fro about this uh, much earlier in the year uh, as we were just making our way through the books, um, I, I've come to a consensus with you that it has to be Messiah. I think it is because, you know, upon rereading it again, um, mm-hmm. it 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 is a great length, right? Yeah. It is a it is the book of most importance and consequence to the messages that Frank Herbert wanted um, to say, right? Mm. Like he, you spend this entire like this epic, like God, what is it like eight hundred pages? Um, you know, building up this entire world, this entire universe, and all the characters within it, right? And, and at the the apex of this, you have Paul, and in Messiah, you slowly, succinctly break down every problem with what you have built, right? And all the yes. consequent books from there, with maybe perhaps um some some of the later books do do divert from that a bit, but like essentially, you know, it is those recurring themes, right? Over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not it's it's the the talk about like the religion or having a godhead and and um, seated within political power, those get revisited again in 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 uh, God Emperor in a slightly different tone. Um, yep. And and you know, uh, I I think for me because it is that important and because of it is of consequence to what comes before and what comes after, Messiah has to be it for me. For yes, sure. yes. And it's yeah. perhaps, um, I think it is the first time, well, it is the second book, but it's the first time we really get like deep kind of look into the characters that we've been introduced to. You know, um, you know Paul's internal it kind of takes a forefront. You know, Chani becomes a bit more of of a a, a thing. Um, yes. And like we we get into their heads a bit more. We are starting to understand a bit more. There's a lot more dialogue here, um, mm-hmm. that allows us pe- peeks into their inner life and their inner struggles that we don't necessarily get enough of in the original book. Yeah. 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 So yeah, for me, um, I I can't remember what it was I, I said before, but at this point in time, it's definitely Messiah. Oh yes, you know, uh, my my biggest issue with Messiah was that it it wasn't so much a book as the final chapter of Dune. 
Oh, yeah. Um, it's like, I felt it should have just been tacked on to Dune, to, to be honest. You know, it didn't feel like a standalone work by itself. Yeah. But it was so important what it was trying to say. Yeah. And the conclusion of the Dune story, at least the initial Dune story, that I felt like it was like the missing final chapter of Dune. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I completely um, and, 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 and perhaps that's why it is so important. And yet at the same time, so um little regarded in terms of its strength as as a whole like as as yep. an in, as an independent book you know mm-hmm. um it is is more like a final novella chapter that should have been an appendix to dune rather than a separate yeah. book away from dune and yeah. I, t- I totally get that you know um my favorite book of dune is in of like literally my top three favorite books of Dune were the last three books. Mm-hmm. Uh, beginning yep. with God beginning with God Emperor, which I think is the first time well actually no, like the the it, Children of Dune is before God Emperor. So yep. Children of Dune, uh God Emperor Heretics and Chapter House, you know, uh to me get exponentially better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's primarily because Frank Herbert started to focus a bit on character work here, particularly yeah. God, Empire, uh, God Emperor of Dune, which mm. plays a bit like foundation fanfic in the in the in the long discussions that the God Emperor has with various people talking about this, talking about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, he it was it was Frank Herbert doing like an Aaron Sorkin script, you know, basically oh, it's just yeah. like long chapters of dialogue talking about economy, ecology, polit- politics, like everything, like, you know, it's it was the least action-oriented book of Dune, uh-huh. and perhaps that's why it's the most hated book of Dune. But it's my personal favorite book of Dune because of that, you know, like you, you, it sets these thousands of years, like uh, three thousand five hundred years, right mm-hmm. after, that's right. after the the end of the initial Dune saga, and you get to see how the universe has changed mm-hmm. politically, religiously, spiritually technologically, you know, um, what the impact of the God Emperor has done and what the, uh, and, and the consequences of what Paul has done before him, you know. Um, you get to really see that and, and it's rare for sci-fi to be like that wide-spanning uh-huh. uh, without losing track of the characters in the, in the moment. Because God Emperor of Dune uh, begins a bit like a, a modern YA book, you know, you, you follow <laughs> you you follow uh this this plucky young girl, right? You yeah. know, who who's who's fighting the evil emperor, the god emperor of Dune, you know, uh Leto the second, um Paul's uh gr- son, grandson? Son. Son, yes, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Paul's son. Um and she's running through a forest. Uh, she's climbing over rivers. She's dying of freezing cold. Um, she is, you know, like getting scraped by rocks, and there are birds, and there are wolves chasing her in this deep dark forest. And I was like, man, this is a cool opening scene. Like, but it felt more like Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. w- where is this? And then like you, 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 certain landmarks are shown, and you're like, oh fuck, this is Dune after he has gone. Um. After he has gone through like this incredible ecological transformation, the dream of Liet Kynes is finally realized in in this fourth book of Dune. You know, it has become this this lush garden paradise. You know, at the cost of the Freeman culture. You know, mm-hmm. is that good? Is that bad? The book explores that. You know, uh, the, the the book explores the resistance against the God Emperor of Dune, which is very interesting. And 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 the girl at the center of Dune, immune to the God Emperor's prescience, yeah. was by design. Um, very cool as well. It had, I mean, one of the greatest <laughs> openings of 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 any of the Dune books. To be honest, Agreed. like Dune, Dune always takes like 
a while. hundred pages for you to get sucked in, right? Yeah. This one, bam, page one, you're in it. You're like, what the fuck is going on, right? So you just keep flipping. And then it gets more interesting from there. You get to know the characters on a deeper level. Uh, you get to know Leto the second on a deeper level than even the, Paul, you know? Um, yeah. And then you mm-hmm. move on to Heretics and Chapterhouse Dune, which introduced... Uh, well, okay, the Duncan Idaho has always, always been around, but Duncan yeah. Idaho has never been <laughs> fleshed out in the way that he has been in Heretics and Chapter House Dune. If you're wondering why Jack Duncan Idaho is uh, alive 3,500 years from now, yeah. uh, let's just say that across all the books, a uh, varieties of his clones have popped up uh, at nauseum, uh-huh. uh, um, almost at nauseum, but like it, it gets a bit like tired after a while, but in God Emperor, it's like the... The Duncan Idaho clone, yeah, uh, Gola, uh, Gola is what they call them in the yeah. books, right? Yep. that you really get invested in, yeah. Like he is the he is the pr- prime Duncan, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, <laughs> uh, you get the introduction of Miles Tech, which is fucking cool. He is he is this like mentat uh, military general, mm-hmm. uh, who is who looks like he reminds me of uh, Charles Dunn, you know, the guy who plays um the Lannister father in um in Game of Thrones, you know, he has like that vibe about him. Uh, and he's just so fucking cool. He's like, what if Batman was in Dune? Um, and he, this was the first time... Okay, like, to backtrack, right? One yeah. of my biggest issues with Dune, the book, was mm-hmm. that uh, the issues of Mentats, while very interesting, you know, human beings who have been developed to become supercomputers who can think because yeah. computers aren't, aren't allowed in this universe, mm-hmm. they are so smart. They are so... Uh, uh, incre- they're like 15 steps ahead, you know. Uh, they, But... Like, they are only as smart as the plot allows them to be sometimes. Yeah. And they're sometimes so remarkably stupid because the plot has... Uh, I mean, they have to be stupid for the plot to continue, you know? Yeah. So it feels like a very un- ele- or inelegant way and un- inconsistent way of presenting mental powers. Sometimes they're smart. Sometimes they're stupid. Sometimes they're geniuses. And sometimes they can't see what's right in front of their nose, you know? It's just very... Messy lah. Like I don't like to see powers displayed that way, you know. Um, and, and mentat should many times be smarter than what they should be like. And they, if I can, if I can see a plot in the book, right? You know, if I can see the conspiracy, like why can't you? You know, mm-hmm. I I'm presented with the same information that you are. So why can't you this this mentat figure it out? Mousetag was the first mentat I, uh, that I encountered, yeah. And the first military general that I encountered that was truly a genius in both respects. <laughs> and, and I fucking loved him. It was like he's he's my favorite character in Dune mm-hmm. and if there's ever a Dune spin-off I want it to be about Miles Tech. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean like yeah. that I I don't understand like Brian never ever took Miles Tech to kind of like flash upon. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which, yeah, yeah. Which is a bit of a waste. But I mean that being said, right? If the movie takes off and enough money comes through with all of that, I mean I hope, mm-hmm. I really hope someone out there is like you know who really needs their own show? Yeah. Miles Tech. Yeah. Miles Tech, you know, and, and the Benny Jesuit in the in the last three books also. Oh, yeah. uh, I've never seen them so competent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see in the first two books, uh, first three books especially, like, Benny Jesuit have like have, have have created this plan for millennia, for thousands of years they've crafted this plan. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, and and I've never seen a group of people so so incompetent to like pull the final trigger. Like like they get they get messed up at, at every stage of the plan. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, have you really thought this through? Uh, and in the final three books, you know, the the, the last two Reverend Mothers in particular that we follow, mm-hmm. 
are very sympathetic, despite the fact that the last two books are literally, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to turn you guys off here, but it's literally their plot is to rape a child. I'm not kidding. Like, that's the plot of the last two books. They're like, let's kidnap this child and like, let's rape him because we need his successor. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very like distasteful, but but the, at the same time, like the political maneuverings have never been more competent, at least not from uh, what I've seen in Dune. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it's just very interesting to me. I, I, always, I, I, thought, I thought the characters in the last few books are way more well fleshed out and well thought out and uh-huh. they seem more cons- inter- internally consistent. Yeah. But on the flip side, the imagination and world building of the last half of the series were not as imaginative as the first half of the series. So there are, there are pros and cons to that. And I, I really think an author has just enough mind space to focus on one and not the other, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, t- I totally understand. I, I, I kind of always thought that... Um... Heretics and Chapter House in particular was just uh with everything that he had done with or- original Dune and later on with God Emperor right with the with the world building allowed Herbert to kind of move away from that yep. um in order to to you know to, to explore some of the more deeper human implications right on on very personal levels surprisingly um instead of taking on this macro view all the time but I do agree with you like. Chapter House as a planet isn't very exciting or mm-hmm. well thought out. Uh, even the descriptions of, you know, the vast desertification that they're trying to do um, and they're just like stripping the world for, for the sake of, of, of their, their purpose, right, to bring back the sandworms, um, mm-hmm. doesn't quite have the same natural scale that you get from almost every book um, you know, uh, so I, I'm not sure if you want to step away from that, but then again, right? There was uh, there was supposedly two unwritten books, uh, or mm-hmm. unfinished books at the point of Herbert, uh, Frank Herbert's passing. So yep. you know, it's hard to say. You know what Chapter House Dune, or Chapter House the Planet, uh, yeah. reminds me of the most. Uh, it reminds me of like how um Benhoff and Weiss portrayed um the drawn in Game of Thrones. Oh, Wars. yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, like, oh, yeah. there's this huge planet, right? But then you spend an inordinate amount of time on like their compound, mm-hmm. like describing like their furniture and like <laughs> their villas and their gardens and like this is a small part of this planet, you know. But like this planet is represented by just like one house. Um, I guess that's kind of the point of the story, yeah. but it's still like very uninteresting and unimaginative, especially compared to <laughs> the the level of detail that we got in in Arrakis, right? So it really reminded me of yeah. Dawn, like weirdly enough, although it's not the same <laughs> planet, you know, like 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 Dawn is. Um, it also like had an inordinate focus on on these things. I, I know this is very sidetracked, such a small <laughs> point, right? but this thing really fucked me up, you know. Like you you you're aware of chair dogs, right? Yeah, you know they, these dogs that literally become chairs for human mm, beings yeah. and like mold, mold themselves around you. Um, it's one of the most fucked up concepts I've ever heard in sci-fi. And don't, you, don't you think? I mean, like, okay, so for me, right, like the whole idea of having like this nanotechnology that forms to your body wherever you go. No, it, but it's alive. Yeah. It's, uh, a, it's a natural dog. But like, they are, they are basically like, the, like the mentats, right? You needed something to replace, you know, um, supercomputers. Mm. So you got like organic things to replace the possible nanotechnology of, you know, chairs that were just formed around. It is it is totally bizarre and totally fucked up, right? And like the descriptions yeah. of them are just like, man, they are uncomfortable. 
um, to just imagine, you know, if we ever get like, you know, a movie or a TV series in that particular realm, I'm I'm not sure how they're gonna pull it off without just freaking people out. I mean, I suppose they can la. Like people tend to close one eye with animal cruelty if they don't. I do. I don't know. I mean, look at Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, people will close one eye, but it's just so fucked up, right? The, the, the very idea. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like of all the things that happen in Dune, right? The the billions of people dying, the wars, the bloodshed, this fucking god emperor that plays uh, human society like a fiddle and the suffering and the privation. It's chair dogs that got me, you know? Yeah, like, oh. yeah because it, it is like the closest approximation of like casual human cruelty, right? On a mass scale that, that you know, that, that hits really, really close to home. Um mm-hmm. and it's oh, that's yeah I I mean I I was disturbed I'm not sure if I was as hung up about it as you were when I was reading chapter I was doing, uh yep. yeah but I mean I totally understand I totally understand like one of the strangest things I think that has ever been introduced by Herbert oh definitely you know uh yeah um the the descendants of the Atreides of which Malstack is one of them are proliferate throughout the 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 system. Uh, what's interesting about the later books of Dune, though, is that they have essentially the 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 idea of what the God Emperor wants to do is right. He wants to suppress and oppress them to the point where they will no longer accept the savior and and will go out into the stars and become as diverse and as populous and as chaotic as possible. Yep. Uh, because that's the only way the human race can thrive and survive. Yep. Uh, in the future. Yeah. Uh, a, a, it, it a, no a very different approach. Yeah. To foundation, exactly. Foundation had the exact opposite uh, mm-hmm. argument, uh, where 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 order and yeah. rationality was was the way to survive. Like Frank Herbert argues that chaos and disorder and diversity is the way to survive. So like there's all these different people branching out into different corners of of not not just our galaxy but but further out, which is very interesting. Uh, and then they come back for an unknown reason, right? And a reason that we will never know now because Frank Herbert is dead. You know, it, the, the last book ends on a cliffhanger. But, you know, the, the factions that come back, the, the Bene Gesserit offshoot, the, the Fish Speakers offshoot, you know, and all mm. that are very, very interesting. Um, the, the Fish Speakers, if you, if you don't know, are this kind of commando, all-female, Dora Milaj kind yep, of people. Yep, yep, yep. That, that, yeah, that uh, the God Emperor... Um, uh, tasks to to protect him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I thought the fish speakers were a cool concept. Just like it was, it was kind of a lame name. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like with with so many like fascinating like terms and titles and groups, fish speakers yeah. definitely fell flat for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, it, it's his world. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've, I've kind of talked at length about the later books, you know, like post-Dune Messiah, like what are your favourite parts of it and what are your least favourite parts of it? Like what works and what doesn't? Um, I, okay, I, I found, I mean, I really like God Emperor, right? Um, oh, and, and just like, for, for those of you who don't know, like Dune was written as, as a series of trilogies, more or less, mm-hmm. right? With the first three books um, all the way up to Children of Dune being one trilogy and then from um, Heretics, Chapter House mm-hmm. and what was what is coded as Dune Seven, um, mm-hmm. as the second uh, a second trilogy, um, yep. God Emperor occupies this very very unique space of being transitionary, uh, mm-hmm. and like filling the role for that. So everything that Hits has talked about about you know all this like vast uh, knowledge dump essentially right through mm-hmm. through through everything and the story that's going on there, but 
God Emperor reads very much like like a love story. Um, yep. for the first time, right? Like, it's not a heroic epic like the first Dune. It's not a cautionary tale. Uh, well, it's kind of a cautionary tale, but like, first and foremost, it's a, it's a love story. And yep. like, it is insane how within the matter of a few books, you can invert something that you've created and then invert it again, right? Mm. Especially the whole idea of the scattering and, and the golden path that, that Leto is trying to to engineer, right? Over this like, Three, three, three and a half millennia, you know, in in absolute, not not just in Herbert's idea, complete opposite of what what's in Foundation, right? But like in absolute, uh, contrast to the idea of Paul's original jihad, um, mm. you know, Paul's jihad looks so so mm-hmm. small in yeah. comparison to the scale of what got Emperor plans. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. So like it, yeah. they both essentially serve the same purpose. Um, you know, even yeah. the Ben and Jesse breeding program was supposed to serve the same purpose, but for the one percent, right? Yeah. Uh, and and you know, this whole idea of like requiring revolution and war and chaos, um, mm-hmm. in in those separate in those separate kind of segments, uh, in order for humankind to refresh itself and its genes, which was one of the I, I think when I first read it as as a kid was something that I didn't quite understand until mm. much later on, like, just how fucked up that idea actually is. Like, in yep. order for us to exist as a species throughout, you know, a galaxy, um, mm. you require violence, right, of some kind. Uh, mm. And you require discontent. Like, peace ultimately will kill off the, the human race. Um, like, I didn't really understand the first few times that I read through it itself. Mm. And, like, I think, like... It's these few themes that that come out in God Emperor that are just like again, right, of like significant consequence um, for the universe as a whole, and whole in a very very different way from anything that we had got before that. Um, yes, Heretics. Heretics is okay by my book. Chapter House is again like as the as a kind of middle book, right? It feels very transitionary. Uh, we have no idea what Dune Seven is going to be. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh. From what I understand, it was originally supposed to be two books. Uh. That got merged into one manuscript that was largely complete before Frank Herbert died, and Brian yeah. is intending to put that out soon. Um. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, we we will get into Brian's stuff um shortly after this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh. I totally agree with you about Idaho, though. <laughs> yeah. Idaho was almost of an, a non-factor in early books, um, yeah. but he became such a such a big part of the later books. In fact, like the Duncan Idaho character, if you include all his golas, yeah. play a much bigger role in the larger scheme of Dune than than any Atreides. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It just just uh yeah, especially I think in God Emperor and later on in Chapter House, like that he is like pivotal in those particular areas for that. And it's it's so interesting, like, just how... I, if we were to accept the fact that he is essentially the same character across all these, like, different variations of him, right? His character growth we get to see over six books, quite literally. Um, and and, and it's, it's fascinating to have, like, the Duncan Idaho that, like, trapezes into the keep, like, drunk and shouting and, 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 you know, being rowdy and what, like, the Duncan Idaho that we get in Chapter House, right? 
who mm-hmm. is like standing in the corner and and you know um, deliberating and and you know chimes in only when it's necessary. Um, mm-hmm. It's a vastly different like take on that, and sometimes I'm a bit torn between. Yep the idea that you want son you want something consistent across everything right something that lasts throughout um mm-hmm. someone of somewhat of a, a archivist um you know that that is separate from any of the other organizations necessarily mm-hmm. and the fact that he isn't quite you know like he exists in name but is he really you know he's not he has different experiences yeah 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 it's he is he has the memories of duncan idaho and all the duncan idaho goalers prior to him but people change yeah. uh over over your lifetime you know, as you go into young adulthood and adulthood um duncan idaho has gone through like several million adulthoods at this point and so mm-hmm. his personality radically changes over the many many books because you know they take such drastic time jumps you know 500 years 1000 years 3500 years you know so to expect Duncan Idaho to be the, still the same rowdy person, uh, great fighter, noble, yeah. uh, loyal that he was in in the first book, uh, and not expect him to be a bit more cynical uh, mm-hmm. after everything that he has been he has gone through. Uh, I think that there was one of the great strengths of Frank Herbert's uh, depiction of the 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 growth of Duncan Idaho. Yeah. Um. Towards the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I. You know. It's. A lot of people were kind of bothered by, on the flip side, were bothered by the lack of technological innovation over like five thousand years yeah. in, in in the books. Uh, but again, you know, but the the lack of AI and the Butlerian jihad sort of you know, uh, stymied that. Uh, yeah. The 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 telelexu aside, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was cool. I I I I really want to see like just a book about the telelexu. They are very fascinating to me. Like, what 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 are your like? The, the little corners of the universe that's not part of the main story that's your favorite uh i've always been very fascinated with being able to explore like the ixian technology um the, the conclave right um, yeah the ixian conclave like you know we get bits and pieces of that every once in a while whenever frank needed like say okay there there is technology it does exist in a form that is convenient to the plot of my story at this point in time and it is ixian yeah. Right, yeah. so basically, like the only kind of like surviving and antiques of the Balearian Jihad in the mm-hmm. technology, like we do. I mean, Brian does explore. You know, um, what is that? What is the book called? The Machine Crusade, right? Which talks about the Balearian Jihad, um, mm-hmm. but we never really get Ixian culture and technology. Like, what's up with that? You know, um, the they like so gives us hints of that. Um, mm. but they are much like the Bene Gesserit like they, they are, are geared towards a certain purpose whether it's the Ixians felt like technologies for technology's sake and you know mm. um, in a sci-fi world that is you know bread and butter but because mm. it is absent from the world of Dune or the universe of Dune right that makes it far more fascinating to me um, that, oh yeah yeah that's one for sure um, yeah the Bene Telexu is fascinating I don't think we get very much of that Outside of the Gola and the uh, what's the face face dancer, Sh- the face dancers, yeah, 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 the face dancers. That's pretty much all we get from that. And some of the mental assassins, of course. Um, that would be fascinating. Like I've always thought of it as the male counterpart to the Benny Jesserit. Uh, uh mm-hmm. and in 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 some readings, I understand what it would be. So it's fascinating just to see. 
their differing um strategies right for going about like bring bring about the the uh, heterac, um as well and how you know this the, the male counterpart to that like is a lot about violence and <laughs> yeah 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 i mean like overall the the, the theme of this whole you know we've always approached uh, or, for, or at least fiction has always thought of the idea that humanity has this warlike instinct this yep. this conflict instinct as a self-destructive mechanism within us that we needed to weed out, you know, and, and Herbert almost argues the opposite, that it's not a self-destructive instinct, but a survival instinct. It is, it is a, a, a consistent renewal of, uh, an, an upgrading of human beings you know, to make us more different, to make us better. Yep. Um, so survival through hardship is what defines us, not through peace. Uh, peace makes you complacent. Peace makes you weak. Um, and that's Interesting. Uh, in in one respect, uh, Isaac Asimov and Frank Herbert agreed upon that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they have kind of that that same theme in, in both Foundation and in uh in Dune. You know, and that, that that was that was cool. Um, I I almost wish, you know, the the Fable Dune Seven came out so I can read it. But Brian Herbert is doing his own uh version of that along with his uh writing partner uh more esteemed um, Kevin, Kevin J. Anderson. Kevin J. Anderson, that's right, you know. So I, I suppose this will be a good bridging off point into the Dune continuations. You've read more of the Brian Herbert and Kevin Anderson uh, continuations than I have, you know. What are yep. your thoughts on them? And and are they um could, are they appropriate? Like like would Dune like hardcore oh. like like them? Uh, are they are they worthy continuations or successes to the Dune franchise? Uh okay. So I have read, let me just pull this up. Right, so I've read um the three preludes to Dune. So the house base books, right? House of Trades, House of Conan, House Carino. Yeah. Um I did read Butlerian Jihad and Machine Crusade. Uh I don't think I read the schools of Dune. Um because okay. I did feel like the encyclopedia covered most of that mm-hmm. already. Um Brian is heavily I mean like as a legacy author, which is essentially what Brian is. Um, Brian knows the world of Dune better than anybody with the exception of Frank himself. Oh, yeah, I don't dispute that. And he, his, he clearly knows it. Yeah, yeah, his attention to detail and just the wealth of information that he is privy to and his understanding of like kind of the inner workings of his father's mind allows yeah. him to flesh out parts that Frank never got the chance to. My mm. issue isn't so much as a Dune fan as it is with me being a Frank Herbert fan. Mm, uh, because okay. the prose is lacking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Issue, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, it, a lot of it would read better as, like, you know how, like, Star Wars, we get a lot of, like, these picture books and then they show you, like, the data and, and, and all, like, the... the the blueprints and you know all of that it oftentimes feels like some of these things would read better as archival instead of novels right yes. like give me yeah. the information to feed into the story that i've already grown to love as opposed to come up with like stories of your own that fit sure have sure. the detail give me the information but the prose isn't necessarily 
I mean, it's not Frank Herbert standard, which is which is pretty difficult to to achieve. You know, so I I do think that they are um functional in that particular manner. I do think mm-hmm. a lot of people will find some value from you know being able to dig into um something that they already love. Uh, but you don't have like say for example in the preludes to Dune right like you never have any of the characters stand out to you like any of the Atreides or the Harkonnens or or, or the Emperor uh, um the Imperial uh family stand out in the mainline stories right like none of them are written to be that and it, of course in retrospect it's always easy to kind of say, right? Like, they aren't the main story. These characters aren't of much consequence, right? Yep. Uh, and especially because you know that it's it's Brian writing it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a bit hard. Um, whether or not um, Dune 7, how it's going to turn out, because, like, from what I understand, like, a large source of the manuscript is already done, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and how he, he, he chooses to kind of put that out. I think it'd be interesting. Um, yeah, but like Brian has put out a ton of work. He's put out almost twice the number of books his father has. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're of significant length, mm-hmm. to be honest. So my advice is if you're listening to this and you're wondering whether or not to to kind of um, dive into what's called the expanded Dune universe, um, mm-hmm. pick the parts that are most interesting to you, right? Like if the school's you know, your your Bene Gesserit, your Mentats, your your Guild Navigators interest you, then go into that. If you want to know a bit more about the Atreides, go read House of Atreides, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not necessary for you to like consume the entirety of, of everything that's been written. Um, mm-hmm. The much smaller ones like Hunters of Dune, Sandworms of Dune, Paul of Dune, they're okay. Um, yep. But they don't carry the kind of weight and the kind of significance, I think, um, he may be intense, you know, uh, but they are all very heartfelt tributes to a legacy of a very brilliant father. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, Brian knows the world very well uh, and his work, I think the, whether this is uh, a, a whether this is a compliment or whether this is an insult, I don't know, but it, it comes across as very entertaining uh, fan fiction um, because it just doesn't have the literary depth and nuance that that Frank Herbert uh, infused into his new novels. Uh, he's, him or, or his writing partner, Kevin Anderson, is just not at that level. Yeah. Uh, which I, I suppose is not an insult to them. Like, I mean, clearly, who is at that level, right? But it's not as... I, I tend to not like continuations uh, of, of legacy titles by different creators. Uh, with with some very rare exceptions, for example, uh, like um, um, Brian Sanderson's uh, Wheel of Time continuations, are uh, almost better <laughs> than the originals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but that's a testament to how good uh, Sanderson is, la. And you know you got like the Damon Lindelof like a uh, Watchmen sequel, you know, which is unauthorized but also very good, you know. But on the flip side, you have like J.J. Abrams doing Star Wars, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And 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 this seems more. Actually, no, like, it's not that bad. Like. This is not G.J. Abrams doing Star Wars. Like. That, that is probably bottom of the barrel. Like. Yeah. Like, he still respects Frank Herbert's work. Like. Um, but, man, there's just something missing for me. It just, it just doesn't feel like literature to me. It feels like reading on a fanfiction forum. Like. And that's mm-hmm. not to diss fanfiction writers because a lot of them are very good, you know. Uh, it, this, this 
to me doesn't even rise above like top fanfiction writers. It's just okay and it's very informative in yeah. what it is. But it's not literature and it's not like good reading material. And it's just my issue with it. Lah. So um, if you do want to see the world of Dune continue, uh, hey, feel free to write Brian Herbert. Uh, to read Brian Herbert's uh, books because I know he has a lot of fans. Yeah, yep. Um, and and I know he has managed to 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 win over a lot of a large portion of the Dune fandom. So, hey, go go to him like, Of course, yep. the other half is like spending, uh, all their free time on Reddit, just like uh, trashing him. So, <laughs> you you will fall in one of the other camps like, So Yeah. Uh, give it a shot. Give it. Yeah. A shot. Before yeah. we move on from the books, I just want to make a correction. So Dune Seven, mm-hmm. um, is actually Hunters of Dune and Sentinels of Dune. It's mm. already out. Yeah, it's split into two, right? Yeah, yeah. it's split into two. Yeah, so that is, uh, if you want, like the conclusion to the mainline story, but as written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, uh, based upon the outline that Frank Herbert left for mm-hmm. you know for posterity's sake, I guess, um, it is out. I mm. haven't read them. I'm not sure yeah. if I will. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that's that's basically book eight: Hunters of Dune and Sentiments of Dune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like, I also didn't want to um, offend, like, um, Robert Jordan fans also. Um, oh, I, I spent, like, the last <laughs> few months reading uh, 18, 18, right? 18, 19, eight, about a lot, uh, a lot um, Wheel of Time novels to get uh-huh. ready for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I gotta say, like, the middle portions of the Wheel of Time novels are just, like, garbage. <sighs> They're so not good. They're so bad. I only got back into it when Brandon, um, when Sanderson t- took over. Yeah. Uh, and then suddenly the 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 book became the, the book became great again. And I, <laughs> I didn't have to read like three hundred pages of describing like how someone's fingers look like a sausage. You know, it's it's yeah, never mind. I I got I gotten sidetracked. Let's move on to uh, let's move on to the adaptations of Dune. Yep. Uh, by beginning with a classic nineteen eighty four David Lynch adaptation of Dune. Um, infamously trashed by critics and fans of Dune, but I seem to find a new life as a cult classic, and people, uh, more more modern fans, have sort of redeemed it in their eyes. Primarily, I think because the space camp has become endearing. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the 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 aspects that you didn't like in 1984 suddenly, in like 2021, you're like, hey, it's kind of cheesy and kind of cool. Uh-huh. Like it's okay. I, I, I that's a that's a there's an endearingness to 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 it la, and to the effort made you know, um certainly not David Lynch's best work um certainly David Lynch doesn't even like this movie yeah uh and and, and a lot of it is is down to studio interference as is always the case you know mm-hmm. um you are a bigger Dune fan than I am what was your thoughts upon watching the David Lynch Dune uh is it unfairly maligned or is it a hidden piece of genius? There is... Okay, the first time I watched it was maybe like... Oh, man. Early 20s, probably. Uh, and like, I, I watched it reluctantly after doing one of my like rereads of the series. Mm. Um, there, there are moments where like it really really kind of clicks right like the image in your head and and just like just 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 general visual direction it really does click right Mm. um there are some castings that i just think are like brilliant like max von sido as as keens yeah is one of those instances i'm just like damn like that i'm not so much sure of of sting as fate uh rather Mm -hmm. but you know Oh, whatever Patrick Stewart again as Gurney Halleck like Hollywood's idea of ugly right it's just mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, like, there are moments in time, you know, there are, like, I, I think some of the very iconic kind of screenshots that, that if, if people were to Google kind of Dune, um, would kind of see with, like, the Fremen kind of standing on the sand dune itself, um, and a lot of, like, the wide shots, a lot of it is very, very beautiful. But in terms of, like, faithfulness to the novel, uh, in terms of, like, the general kind of, like, screenwriting, it's, uh, it's, it's extremely messy. And in mm. no way fits, like, it is neither a tribute to Dune or an offshoot of Dune or an adaptation of Dune. Mm -hmm. It is good, um, or rather, it has become popular because it's a Lynch thing. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, that's, that's basically where I sit on that. Yeah, Lynch, of course, you know, gained worldwide fame for masterful movies oh, like yeah. um, um, Blue Velvet or masterful TV shows like Twin Peaks, you know. Mm -hmm. So his fame has gotten from there, like, and his fandom has gone back to watch Dune with kind of rose tinted glasses. Like. Yeah. Uh, Dune 1984. I mean, I'm sorry, I know a lot of like older fans of Dune, you know, um, people in their 50s or 60s uh, have a, a more kind. Uh, a kinder outlook on this and are willing to overlook the failures. But to me, this is just a, a mess of a movie. It's almost incom incomprehensible. It's yeah. unstructured. Um, there are some good moments in it, you know, uh, but it's just not enough to make up for uh, the, the almost bastardization of the source material. I, I think halfway through the movie, Lynch wanted to quit also because of the studio interference. Yep. So his heart wasn't in it. You know, it's just... This was just not the Dune adaptation that we deserved or we should have gotten, you know. Um, on the flip side, you know, there's some things I enjoyed. Uh, Brian Eno's score, I think, still, like, holds up to today. Uh, Brian Eno is a genius and, mm -hmm. and it, 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 it works, you know. Um, yeah. David Lynch's eye for striking imagery, like, still works. It's just that like, the story just wasn't there, you know. It didn't encapsulate the story, you know. Um, so, moving on from this adaptation of Dune, which at least on the bare minimum, tried <laughs> to capture the spirit of Dune and the story of Dune. Yeah. Let's move on to Jodorowsky's attempt to adapt Dune. Uh, in fact, in his attempt even predates David Lynch's Dune. Yeah. Um, in what is one of the most bizarre, bonkers, batshit bananas, ambitious, audacious adaptations of Dune that I've ever, ever heard. Uh, it has been detailed in a wonderful documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's certainly one of the best uh, documentaries I've seen oh, yeah. in years also. Yeah. You know. um, just the, docu the work of the documentary itself is great. You know. mm -hmm. uh, but we're not here to talk about the documentary. We're, we're here to talk about the ideas that Jodorowsky wanted to bring to Dune. Yeah. Um, he said quite famously at the end of the, of the documentary, right? You know, he said, like, I wanted to and he pounces his fist into his uh, his palm, right? I want to rape the book. I yeah. want to rape the book, you know? And and I sort of, like, uh, cackle at the creative license that he wants to take with it. Yeah. Uh, and some of the ideas are, like, so ridiculous and so out there that I I kind of want to see it anyway. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're not, if you're not going to be faithful, then just don't be faithful at all. Like go your own way with it entirely. Sure. Yeah. Your own your own architecture, your own design, your own take on the material. You know, if you want to have that kind of creative license, you might as well go all the way, right? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's it could have been a very surreal and legendary vision, you know. And yeah. and a lot of its aesthetic has been stolen by Alien, by um, Star Wars. You know, a lot of the a lot of the 
designs created right for here were kind of mimicked later on. Yeah. Uh, like its carcass was picked by later sci-fi greats uh-huh. to make their own sci-fi great. You know, so. Uh, but you know, as as a Dune fan and as a reader of the books, you know, this must have like both. Uh, it must have like astounded you like, in good and bad ways, right? Yeah. Yeah, Jodorowsky Dune kind of like, I mean, discovering what that was and, and all of that. Then you kind of like first time kind of stepping out of the books itself. Um, mm-hmm. Slowly kind of like discovered um, the attempt for that shortly after I watched um, um, Lynch's version. And of course, in 2013, when did the... Yeah, 2013 was when the, the documentary came out. It, it was fascinating, right? To me to see how far someone could possibly take a much beloved story because he could you know mm-hmm. and there was something something that definitely played like for me for one thing right the the casting was insane mm-hmm. um just like just to name a couple of things right for the score he was thinking about pink floyd yep right yep perfect um for the visual effects and for practical effects it was geiger and yep. john Giraud, uh yep. for character design Salvador Dali as the Emperor, Orson Welles as Baron Harkonnen, Mick Jagger as Fade Ratha, yep. um, David Carradine as Leto Atreides. Like, like that is an all-star cast as far as all-star cast goes for that start, for that time. I mean, mm-hmm. we've gotten an all-star cast um, in this 2021 version, um, no doubt about that. But like some of these, some of the some of the castings for for what Jodorowsky wanted is kind of like you know, pretty much the best you could get at the time. And to be very honest, it, it would probably have been spot on, especially Austin Wells' Baron Harkonnen, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your take on his material? Like, would it have been, would it have been, I mean, it's clearly a bastardization and it has nothing yeah, to do with the yeah. book, like, but would, have, would it have been an interesting thing to watch? It would have been, it would have been psychedelic, for sure. Right? Like, I've never imagined Dune to be colourful in any in any like kind of shape or form right really like Herbert doesn't really go into much of that except with you know family banners and stuff like that like the most colourful I've ever seen Dune be is the the computer games right Uh, like Dune 2000 and all of that I'm not sure if if some of you have played that which was just kind of like a small game that came out at the height of like you know the RTS craze back in the 90s -hmm. or the early 2000s rather um but yeah, like it is so so strange. But a, a lot of times, some of the sketches that he had for some of the tech, um, yeah. for the carry alls, I think in particular for the topters and and you know the 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 harvesting machines, like those seemed feasible. Uh, if for nothing else, but because Herbert doesn't really go into much detail about what they, those possibly could be. Yes. Yeah. So like yeah. those, I I was like, okay, yeah, maybe maybe. But everything else, right? It's like watching the documentary was this mix of intrigue and horror for mm. a big Dune fan. It's just like, yes. no. And then you're like, really? And then you're like, mm. thank God this didn't happen. But at the same time, we're just kind of like, hmm, I don't know, right? Like, it could have been something, you know, like vastly, vastly different, but still something of of of, of substance. Um you know, of course, Jodorowsky himself, like, uh, in his own right, a legendary director. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's very hard to kind of, like, postulate on on um, wh- what my feelings could possibly be about something that didn't get made. Uh, but still, like, 
entirely enjoyed uh, the documentary because it was just a roller coaster of emotions uh, as someone who is familiar with the with the origin text. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alexander, uh, Alexander uh, Jodorowsky is is a bit of a mad genius. Uh, he's this like <laughs> Chilean um, avant-garde uh, veteran of of midnight movies. Yeah, be 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 great midnight movies. Yeah. You know, um, if you want to kind of get a, a sense of his work, that is not this Dune documentary. Um, I would advise you to go watch El Topo mm-hmm. from 1970 and The Holy Mountain in 1973. Uh, in many 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 ways, uh, Jodorowsky is akin to David Lynch. Yeah, they are almost like cut from the same cloth you yeah know? and it's weird that like they kept picking this kinds of directors to to visualize dune because dune has always been known as this unfilmable book right until yes. until a bunch of people tried la. and yeah and, and i suppose it, it 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 makes sense that you go for the more psychedelic psychedelic surreal type of directors to to try to make that happen la. um and i think like yeah. the the new is perhaps the ideal middle ground for a very functional blockbuster director uh-huh. Uh, and and also a very artistically ambitious director. He's like right in the middle there, in the sweet yeah. spot. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like there was the there was the second attempt where they wanted Ridley Scott, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to do that, I think it was De Laurentiis that was trying to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I mean, like we got we got we got Villeneuve. Like I'm I'm happy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. With that, uh, for sure, and I'm ha- I'm happy for for that to stay in his hands for as as much as the studio will allow him to, or as much as the fans will support that vision. True, um, it's just yeah, it uh, it 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 just fits, you know. Um, I don't know, I don't know what it is about like this idea that Dune should be in the hands of like Lynch esque or Jodorowsky esque. It's yeah. uh, maybe it's the idea of the spice, you know, that that the drug is hallucinogenic. Um, yeah. yeah, but I mean, like, so that's that's such a small part of the book, really. Mm. You know, in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I I think Denis Villeneuve is like in the mode of like modern middle brow filmmakers. Um, yeah. Shall we, shall we say like in in a Nolan like if Nolan could tell a coherent story he would be like <laughs> Denis Villeneuve you know like no disrespect to Nolan I, I I actually like despite my making fun of him for the last year because of Tenet right yeah like I actually I actually really enjoyed the mid- vast majority of his work oh yeah for sure um, he's still one of my favorite directors it's just like we we don't know where the fuck Tenet is going and we've we've talked about that on like multiple episodes. Um, you know, I think I, I think my problem was like I knew where Tenet was going. It's like it didn't need to be that abstruse, you know, like oh. for for what was essentially his James Bond movie, you know. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and and okay, so we move on from two adaptations that were not very faithful. One oh. at least tried to be, and the other did not try at all. Yeah. To sci-fi's uh, pair of Dune miniseries, you know, covering all six books. Um, in the early like two thousand sci-fi, um, now now it's spelled as S Y F Y, but yeah. it used to be you know it used to be spelled properly sci-fi channel. <laughs> um, it, it kind of went through a, a minor renaissance in the late nineties and early aughts. You know, it it produced um, sci-fi television that set the bar for a lot of fascinating entertainment yeah. to come. You know, it had a lot of great like um, shows like Stargates, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. It's it sets the the standard like, for modern sci-fi uh, television, you know. It's it's the it's the era where they developed the Dune miniseries, which the, the first of which came in two thousand, you know. And 
the it was a massive production for television at that time, uh-huh. especially for a basic cable channel. Um, it had an estimated twenty million budget for the three three film length episodes that encompass each book within the Dune novel for the first miniseries, and then the second one uh, kept it off with the with the next novels. Uh, it featured an international cast. It won Emmys for effects and cinematography. It was this massive undertaking for the channel, and and I think to this day it remains along with its sequel, Children of Dune. I think the the the, the highest rated program that sci-fi has ever produced. Yep. Um, and the Dune miniseries is an excellent example, a case study f- uh, for how do you delineate the line between how close an adaptation of a book should run uh-huh. in order to make a good viewing experience. This is the question that always needs considering when literature turns into uh, cinema, or in this case, the, the small screen, and the balance is really achieved. And I think the sci-fi miniseries, just in terms of its ability to take a bit of creative license and stay faithful to the themes and the story in general, yep. uh, it achieves a balance that I think even surpasses Denis Villeneuve's film. We haven't talked about it, but yep. we will like, yep. in the next episode. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of like its story elements and what it tried to bring to the screen from a writing standpoint, uh-huh. I actually think like this is the best Dune adaptation that, that, that has ever been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, I mean, what what are your thoughts on the miniseries? Um, very very honestly, before we wanted to revisit this year, right? The only thing I remember from the series, mm. uh, and I've said this before to you multiple times, but uh, for the shit of it, um is Alia training... Well, in the book, she's naked. But, like, Alia training, like, barely clothed um, with the, like, the training dummies at, like, hyperspeed, right? It's, it's from Messiah, right? It's... Yeah, the scene's from Messiah. Like, that scene, man, uh, that is stuck in my mind. I what's the actress's name? Daniela Amavia? Wow. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Like, that is the one of the main scenes that, that has stuck in my mind, like, since I watched it. Um... I think it's very easy, especially for people who are going into to to see you know um, uh, Danny's version of it. That Dune would necessarily, in this day and age, lend itself very easily to a TV series. And I think yeah. Children of Dune, um, despite the fact that that was like ages ago, right? Like, what was it? It's almost two decades ago. Yeah, just about, yeah. yeah. So two decades ago, like like sci-fi proved it, right? Like this is what the 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 content of Dune could possibly be. And I totally agree with you, just in terms of like how faithful it was to the story beats. Um a lot of the dialogue was kind of like word for word as well, which is is a feat in and of itself, right? In an adaptation of of something onto the screen. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, uh, I I don't. There are things that I remember. I remember the sets being amazing. I remember the 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 costumes being on point for what I imagined Dune to be at that point in time of my life. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like it really like revisiting. I didn't watch all of it again, but like revisiting some episodes that I could find here and there. Uh, it really does add to the case that yeah, maybe what we really need isn't like a bunch of movies, but just like a long-ass running series, mm. right? Um, and I think we'll discuss some of that in our main review of um, Dune 2021 um, in our next genre equality and maybe, like, do some comparisons there and, and, and just talk about, like, the medium of the movie um, mm. for this particular franchise. 
Yeah. Um, Dune as a TV series will probably work best, especially with the scale of the epic. Yeah. Um, I've already praised its faithfulness as a strength of the Dune miniseries, both miniseries, the original one in 2000, which covered the first book and yep. the, the later books in 2003. Uh, strangely enough, it is also the weakness of the miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is, there's, it, the story drags a lot when you just vomit out whatever's on the book Oh in yeah, prose and mm-hmm. onto the screen. Yeah. There are places where it feels like the narrative gets over-explained because it's like someone reading a book to you. Like, literally, that's not what I want to watch mm-hmm. in a visual adaptation, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a noble instinct, but it can get tedious in places. There are, you know, like you said, the lines lifted carefully from a checklist of what must be done in a Dune movie. Uh, we got this bit, and now we do this bit, and now we do this bit without any sort of ha- uh, thought of how it would flow in a visual medium, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, and that, that is where Danny news obviously... Um, is leagues ahead of the miniseries. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, I like the cast. Uh, I think of all the Duke Leto's that I've heard, like William Hurt <laughs> is not the ideal in my mind choice, but he plays it really well. Yeah. He brings a certain reserve calm that works for the character. Um, it's, it's, a, it's real good. I think Ian McNeese, uh, who plays... Um, uh, who who plays Baron Harkonnen is 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 very good as well. Yeah. Uh, the guy the guy who plays um Paul Atreides, man, I forgot his name. He's been in a lot of sci-fi projects. Uh, Alec Newman. Alec Newman, that's right. Yeah. Uh, he is like way too old. Uh, as is Carl McLaughlin, to be honest. Like, yeah. They're all they're all way too old to be Paul Atreides, but whatever, you know. Yeah. It's, it's it, that's the <laughs> that's where they chose to go with it. Okay. Um, I think one of the Places where the original miniseries succeeded or even improved upon the books and deviates uh, is, I think, the smartest change it made is is to make I think uh, Irulan an active participant in the narrative. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. M- making her way through the machinations of the other houses to learn the truth about what's going on between her father, House Harkonnen, and House Atreides. Like, because mm-hmm. you know it doesn't make her a passive bystander. Uh, it, it uses her as a plot device, but it also gives her something to do, which is something Iridan doesn't have anything to do in any of the books. She's there, and she's just this poor, like, um, trophy wife that, that Paul has that, she, that he doesn't <laughs> even have sex with. You know, you, you kind of feel bad for her, but she doesn't really do anything. And then the miniseries makes her important. You know, it makes her a spy. It makes her an active participant. I think, yeah. I think that was a really, really cool change. And that's something I think that Dundee might want to look at also if he if he makes a second movie. Yeah, I think or that, the third movie. I think that yeah. there's definitely an opportunity there to flesh it out, right? A lot of the time, like I, the reason why within the books itself, like Irulan is dismissed is because many of the time when she is around, right, she's seen through the eyes of the other women who are more powerful than her. Uh, yes. Jessica in particular, Chani sometimes, Alia, mm-hmm. right? Like we are looking at the Atreides women essentially who are leagues ahead of her in terms of like their powers, their their political standing, you know, um, their, their witching ways, like all of them are way ahead of her and she is not taken um, seriously because of that. But if the way that the books are written is anything, right? Irulan is the most influential person in Paul's life to exist throughout the ages because she's read uh, in in every subsequent era to come, right? Like her her attention to detail in all of her archivist stuff, 
right? Mm. So many of the uh, beginning sort of excerpts are written by her, right? Like there are tons and tons of books that she's written about Paul, about his story and all of that. Um, she's heard through the ages. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of them are remembered as names through her, you know? So for them to take um, that kind of leap um, is something, yeah, I would be all for. Especially, you know, um, well, I guess we'll do our fantasy casting uh, for the genre episode instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if if we get our fantasy casting for who we think might be a great Irulan, like, it would be mm-hmm. a waste not to use her in that way. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I 100% agree. Like, Irulan is how Paul's story is known to the universe, right? Yep. She is his biographer, so to speak. She she tells his story to quote uh, Hamilton's uh, Eliza, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So that, that, that is enough to make her an important part of the of the mythology and to make her an more important part of the narrative. And I hope like the screen adaptation kind of not not does her justice because if you do her justice, the character then she would have any part to play, like yep. proof upon it. You know. Yeah, for sure. Um, one one of the adaptations that I, I love the most that deviated a lot from the book but added and improved upon it by making characters more uh more active and less passive was the American God season one adaptation. You know? mm, um, yeah. and I think like you could kind of go that route with making underutilized characters more important in the adaptation. Yeah. I think it would uh, be yeah. I think it'd be fairly fascinating, right? Because like then he has already said that, you know, uh, part two is gonna be told through Chinese eyes. Mm. So I mean we could very easily if if it's um whether or not it's part I don't think it'll be part three lah, but whether or not Messiah gets made you know, mm-hmm. it would be easy to kind of shift, right? To It would be fascinating, actually, for it to shift to, to Irulan um, mm. again. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Like, that's that's pretty far into the future. Part 2 is still up in the air, so... Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, like, there's an opportunity there that I think is, you know, uh, it would be great, right? Much like, you know, there's an opportunity for Alia to be a fascinating character. Uh, mm-hmm. if this movie franchise continues strength to strength. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's doing well in the international box office. I hope it does well domestically in the in, in the US because that's where uh, WB is going to be looking. La. If it does well domestically, then they will certainly invest in, in more Dune. La. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, to be honest, like WB has like gold on their hands here. This could be Denis Villeneuve's first big uh, first big Success, yeah. Box in terms of box office and not critically and not artistically, he's always been a success there. Yeah, but I, his his first big box office success could deliver, and this could be really a new Game of Thrones. You know, if WB plays their cards right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't mean Game of Thrones in terms of you know like quality. I mean like in terms of popularity. Like this could easily like get big. You know, it has that vibe. I think Game of Thrones has really trained people, the casual audience, to be more patient with the with the house intrigue and all of that. You know. With, with with larger ideas and themes and I, yeah. yeah I think I think you, you, you could easily tap into that market uh, and I know at like every studio and every series <laughs> is, is, is is trying to tap into the market like yeah. Net- Netflix has been like how many fantasy series have been, they've been releasing like month after month you know like The Witcher started it and then a bunch of others Dark Crystal and all of that they just they're trying to tap into that market uh, Apple TV is doing it with Foundation yep um, Amazon is doing it with Wheel of Time and Law of the Rings. Yep. God, how much money do they have? You know, uh, a lot lah. Jeff Bezos is all the money in the world. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, like we, uh, it yeah. will, it will be. I don't know, right? Who's doing the Ben and Jesserit series? I don't know. Is it HBO I don't know. I don't... or is it being shopped H- around? 
HBO Max because the BB owns uh, HBO. Uh, right. Yeah. So like, if they're gonna do it, I mean, like, honestly, if you wanna do TV series Dune level stuff, like, you gotta have like Game of Thrones money, right? Or like expense money, um, mm-hmm. you know, just to be able to kind of pull that off. So we'll see. Like, I would, I would love to see like as many things come out of of Dune as possible and if Villeneuve is the first one to kind of kick it off and, and get it into motion then I'm, I'm more than happy for it yeah yeah definitely man uh, and that has been this episode of the Behold Podcast we, we went through the length and breadth of Dune from the books to the adaptations to the TV adaptations as well yep. uh, and you know we kind of touched upon Brian Herbert's continuations as well we had mixed feelings on those you know but I urge you to check out the Dune source material yep. um, if you like the, if you like the movie and even if you don't like the movie perhaps the Dune book will will interest you too because yep. it's it's a little bit different than the movie too Um. Speaking of the movie, we'll talk about it in our upcoming genre equality, which we'll be recording next week. So in, in a little bit over a week from now, you'll get to hear our review and thoughts about Denis Villeneuve's adaptation of Dune. Is it the Dune adaptation that we've always wanted and deserved? Some people say yes, some people say no, but you'll find <laughs> out our opinions then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we won't, yeah, we won't uh, touch you anymore on this, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, you can find us on all the podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple, Stitcher. Uh, we are also available on our primary home, which is Mixcloud, which has been our home since the beginning. Yep. Uh, we are available on YouTube as well, if that's your preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and we'll be back in about a week's time for genre equality. Um, anything else uh, about Dune that you want to say before we cap off? Uh no no uh I hope uh if you guys if, if Dune is in cinemas for you guys please go out to cinemas but stay safe of course uh mm-hmm. to go and watch that and uh, yeah you know um it, you you can connect with us on our socials and stuff like that if you want to talk about it or discuss that um yeah but again uh thank you so much for listening uh like and subscribe guys on any of the platforms uh or you following us on Spotify or you know like us on subscribe on YouTube that really helps us out. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yes, yes. And I'm glad I didn't bring up this guy called Holtzman from the Dune Encyclopedia. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, 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 a little, I'm a little obsessed with him. Uh, oh, so, God. like, if you want to find out about him, right, yeah. like, just, just, just Google Holtzman Dune Universe. Oh, my God. Um, his, his fictional backstory is, like, the most incredible thing. Uh, I could have spent like an another hour and a half just talking about Hoaxman because I have this whole pitch for a Hoaxman show. Yeah. Uh, but if you, if you want to talk to me about that, talk to me about it in real life. Like it's it's a bit too much. I have I have too much to talk about that. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Until then, this is Hidzir. This is Isa. Uh. Goodbye, guys. <laughs>